Hope Church. But um, let's go ahead to Lord in prayer, and then we'll hop here in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. We'll do 19 to the end of the chapter uh, this morning. So let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to be here, um, the privilege to worship you, um, to call you Father, to know that you care for us and that you love us. I pray this morning that you would teach us from your word, you would encourage us by it, and help us to live for you. In your name, dear Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's read. Let's just read the passage because really I think it's all one section. I think a lot of times we kind of look at this and kind of want to break it up more than Jesus breaks it up here. Uh, But I think it's really one focus and central thought that he has when he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add one cubic to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they neither grow, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the glass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay, so let's, um, we're going to look at this big picture, and then we're going to break it back down. So again, we go back to the way that Jesus is teaching here. Um, you remember his Beatitudes that he began uh, the whole section with, and one of the things that he says is, um, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Um, and so he has this idea of, of you know what puts us towards pursuing the things of righteousness, and we find our joy in that righteousness, and what distracts us from that. So he has to talk about this, this idea about the cultural norm of laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is the, the religious, religious cultural norm of his day. Remember, the Pharisees are in charge here in terms of the religious atmosphere of, the, of the, really the whole nation. They're the standard bearers of it. And they had a prosperity gospel. They believed that, that your wealth was a sign, a signal to the world that you were close to God and that you were right with God. And that if you were poor, you must have some sin in your life or have done something wrong or some reason that God is angry with you. So this was their philosophy. Really, the prosperity gospel that we have today is nothing more than the gospel of the Pharisees repackaged for a modern era. It's the same you know, prosperity teaching. It, it, what we have today is nothing new. Um, it, the Pharisees had it, and it's been repackaged in various forms you know, throughout the centuries. Um, and it's what is, you know, is pre- preached today. Um, you know, I, was, I was reading uh, some words from a, a, a preacher in Zimbabwe uh, talking you know, about this uh, very thing. Um, about because because in especially in, in Africa the prosperity gospel is is huge 
Um, and, and it's kind of interesting that it comes into a place where so many people are so very poor. Because it gives this idea of hope. You know, get close with, to God, plant your seeds of faith, which is your bits of giving, and God's going to bless you. He's going to respond in the exact same way that you respond to him. And so if you plant these seeds of faith, then God's going to bless you and he's going to give you a mansion. He talked about some of the things that were preached there. And one of the preachers would say, you know, if God doesn't give you an earthly mansion, how can you trust him to give you a heavenly mansion? What? You know, even using things in the Bible from like Corinthians, for example, where it says God, where Jesus became poor for our sakes that we might become rich and taking that in a very physical materialistic way which you know it wasn't intended to be and then using solomon you know the pharisees in this time you know use solomon as a justification we are wealthy and rich like solomon was and we know that solomon was blessed by god so therefore if you are blessed by god you will be rich Right? I mean, you see how that works? Now, that would obviously be ignoring lots and lots of things about the Old Testament about how God cares for the poor and loves the poor and is concerned about justice for the poor. And even in Solomon, when, you know, if you remember the story, it's um, Solomon, you know, is basically asked by God for what he wants and he asks for wisdom. And God says, because you didn't ask for these other things, God gave them to him. Now, what's interesting about that, God gave those riches to Solomon to be a blessing. But that blessing turned into a curse, not because of what God had done, but because Solomon's attitude toward those things changed. And he took on, he used his wealth and he, you know, acquired many wives and, you know, and many of those wives, you know, served other gods and they let his heart astray. And it's a sad thing, but you know, we have to recognize this even, you know, let me just say this one toward the beginning of the message here. Don't take the, we need to not take the blessings of God that he's given us in our lives and turn them into curses by how we view them. And how we have our, our heart's attitudes you know, toward them. Because you can take a blessing and turn it into a curse. I can do the same. So these Pharisees in Jesus' time believed that this earthly wealth was a sign of spiritual blessing, of connection with God. And we see that this is hugely popular today. Now we need to recognize and this kind of comes across, I think it's a little bit harsh. I mean, we have to admit, we, we, United States of America, I mean, we're one of the most affluent, if not the most affluent nations that's ever been, you know, on the earth. We live in a very affluent period of time in history. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable that no one hammers the rich like Jesus does. Nobody hammers the rich like Jesus does throughout history. He is brutally honest. And he calls it like he sees it and as it is. Nobody hammers the rich like Jesus does. Now, I mean, remember, Jesus says things like it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, he does say it's possible. But he says that riches are actually not a sign of God's blessing, but in fact, you know, an abundance of riches is often a stumbling block to being in close connection with God. When he gives the parable of the sower, he says, you know, that some of the seed, that's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is choked out by the cares of this world. Desiring the things of this world. So Jesus says, be careful. It's a stumbling block to you knowing God. Be careful. And so we are going to see throughout this, Just he's going to say, you know, this is this prosperity gospel. Lay up treasure for yourself on earth. Don't do that. Instead, lay up for your treasures, yourselves treasures in heaven. 
We're going to talk more about what that looks like. And then he's going to give these practical applications for a transformed life, about our perspective, about not worrying about our, ourselves so much, about looking to you know, nature as an example, about not hoarding, um, that understand that your Father knows what you need, that you would seek first the kingdom of God, and that you would take a day at a time, take life a day at a time. And so let's go through here and look at this a little bit more closely. Um, as Jesus says, you know, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And, he, and he's letting us know that the things on earth are temporary. I mean, what do you have going on there? You have ross, muth, moss, moss, rust and moss that destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, like, you know, it can be gone. And, and Jesus could have used, you know, more examples, right? And in other places he does. But, you know, you can, you can have natural disasters that can, you know, wipe you out. You can have wars and famines that wipe you out. You know, you can have this appearance of security and of safety, and it can be gone. You know, think what happened, you know, in our, our last, you know, big recession that we had where many people lost, you know, their very nice homes, their very nice vehicles, and they thought they had built, you know, a secure life for themselves, and then they found themselves, you know, in foreclosure, you know, and, and, and moving from, you know, McMansions into apartments. And so, you know, and, and so that, but re- really, you know what, for our nation, what was this major shock, really in the grand scheme of things, you know, you could compare it to one of the world wars or something like that, it was, it was minor, and yet people felt so devastated, and many people were devastated. I'm not downplaying the hurt and pain and you know, all of that that went on, but I'm just saying grand scheme perspective, you know, having your house foreclosed on and having to downsize is different than literal bombs being dropped on your home and your whole city being reduced to a pile of rubble. You know, that's different than living in Syria today. Those are not the same you know, equivalencies. Now, um, um, but oftentimes they are in our own minds because whatever happens to us is far worse than whatever happens to somebody else because we feel our own personal pain and, and it, you know, we have to work hard to empathize and to put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else's pain. And even when we try, we can't quite get there, Right? So when, when Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says this. Now think about this, Luke 16, 14. And this is, it makes it really clear what we're saying here. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things. This is Jesus teaching about money in Luke chapter 16. It says, they derided him. And Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is detestable. In the sight of God. Now that's strong. That's strong. He said, Jesus says, you know, what y'all care so much for, what y'all work so much for, what y'all value as your status. You know, another place Jesus gets onto the Pharisees, you know, you love to have the chief seats, you know, in the synagogue. You know, your, your concerns about what status is, your love for status. God above detests most of that. You know, and we see this today. You say, oh, well, you know, you know, musicians and people practically will worship them. Athletes and people practically worship them. Wealthy businessmen and people will practically worship them. Anything, if I can just touch the hand, if I can have the autograph. And Jesus is, what he, I think what Jesus is teaching us is just a man. Can you learn to look at everybody and every woman as no better or no worse as you know, a person, a human being made in the image of God, one that Jesus died for, one that it has either come to believe in Jesus and is in a right relationship with God or somebody that needs that? So when you see someone that the world says is powerful, you don't see them that way. You just see them as somebody who has Jesus or somebody who needs Jesus. 
But that person who has you know, this status in our society, a politician, a businesswoman, whatever it is, and we want to look up to. And I don't think Jesus wants us to look down at, but he wants us to look even with. Just a human being like me, made in the image of God, deeply loved and valuable by God, a precious treasure, but no more precious than the poorest of the poor on this earth. No more. No more inherent value. But this is what our world does. Our world says that some people are worth it and other people are garbage to be used and to be thrown out. That some people are, you know, it's worth it for them to live and it's other people it's not. It's not. And we've seen this, you know, and, and these are serious, you know, issues that we have to have to face. You know, Iceland applauds itself that they basically don't have Down syndrome in their nation anymore. Like none. Well, they've just aborted all the ones that they see are going to have Down syndrome. Now, tell me, how is that a win? That's not an advancement in medical, you know, science. That's just selecting and saying People with Down syndrome are not worth living. They're a burden on our society and we don't want them. And there's a wickedness and an evil with that. It says that some human beings are worth it and that other human beings aren't. We have to call that what it is. I mean, it's so incredibly... Wrong, But it comes on, all of this is on this foundation of what is valuable and what is wealth and what is power and what is status and what do you strive to attain to. And then the flip side of that, who is not important. I think for the average Pharisee, the only good that the poor did for them, that they saw the, any value of the poor was just a way to show their greatness and that they could drop some charity that direction. That's not the sort of charity God is desiring or looking for. So when Jesus says that God knows your hearts, what is highly esteemed among men is accessible inside of God, then he goes on in Luke 16 to tell the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And Jesus flips the script. Remember we said, in the Pharisees' mind, the rich were the ones that were favored with God, and the poor obviously had to have a problem with God. So Jesus flips the script when the rich man is in Hades, and the poor man, Lazarus, and it's interesting, God doesn't even give the rich man a name. Jesus doesn't give a rich man a name here. Okay? Because it's like, I don't even know you. You talk about flipping the script. And the poor man, Lazarus, has a name. And he's known by God and he's in the presence of God. See how Jesus flips the script there? Big time. Big time. So you imagine the shock and the horror of the Pharisees hearing that teaching of Jesus that is so pointedly against them. We need to be sure that we don't allow the gospel of our Jesus Christ, to be choked out by the deceitfulness of riches. Now, this is where I think we have to be really careful because we, uh, we can obviously recognize that overt prosperity gospel, the Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar prosperity gospel that just says, you know, that tries to get, all the, tries to get poor people to give all their money to the rich people for their private jets and for their big mansions, and they use manipulation. They just say, you know, you just got to plant a bigger seed of faith. You're in debt. Well, just plant a bigger seed of, debt, of faith, and God is going to get you out of your debt. Just write a check to my ministry. Drop your cash in the box for my ministry. You know, all this stuff. You know, we'll send you a prayer cloth. I'll have prayed on this personally, and I'll send it to you in the mail if you just send this money. And that stuff, I mean, listen, that stuff gets mailed out all the time. I don't know if you've gotten it or not, but that stuff does get mailed out all the time. And at all times, it gets mailed out directly targeted to poor communities. 
playing again on the needs of people. But what I want to contend today is that this doesn't mean we don't have a problem. I believe that the prosperity gospel that's been around since the time of the Pharisees has infected almost every church and almost every follower of Jesus. Including our church, including myself. We are not immune. We are not immune. And it's a combination of the prosperous, materialistic culture that we've been raised in and a materialistic, prosperous church that has tried to justify that into an extreme level and telling us it's okay to do all the things that the world does with money and to have all the desires that the world has for money and that we're not wrong. When I was, uh, I'm going to lighten it up for a minute and then I'll come, come back to that because that's heavy. But this week, the, you know, this one kind of the, the interwebs dropped one in our lap today because Tiffany, um, I don't know if you saw this on my Facebook or not, but Tiffany came out with uh, Tiffany and Co- Tiffany's and Company, okay, you know, the jewelry company. They came out with an everyday objects line. An everyday objects line is, 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 you know, you would think it was a joke. Like, I would expect to see it, like, on a Saturday Night Live spoof or something like that. No, this is real, people. You can actually go to their website. Everyday objects like a tin can. A tin can made of sterling silver. And mine doesn't have it this morning, but it had a little, you know, the blue Tiffany line right here. Could be yours for only $1,000. To hold your pins, now they'll sell you the pins too that are, you know, several hundred dollars a piece. Now, if you want the larger coffee can, that's going to be $1,500. Ball of yarn. Ball of yarn. I think that one was, that one was outrageous. That was like $6,000, $9,000 for a ball of yarn made of sterling silver. Now, the actual amount, value of what it took to make these things even if they are made of precious metals, ultimately isn't that much, people. Okay? Buying this is not an investment. Oh, I'm going to invest in silver and gold and, you know, whatever else, and then I'm going to sell it later. No, you're going to lose your shirt. Okay. So what we came up with is we're going to sell our own, we sell our own t- tin cans. We're calling it Tiffapies and Company. And we'll put those lines on them ourselves, and, and we'll sell those just for $50 a piece can be yours to hold your nicer, you know, ballpoint pens in, okay? We'll be a church fundraiser, and we can do great things with this. All right? Okay. Tip of peace. That's going to be our, our new thing. No. I, but you see, now, it's easy to mock that and to be like, that's ridiculous. I mean, now, I mean, part of it's just funny. I mean, because it's so beyond. It's so absurd. You have a hard time not laughing. But people are actually... Buying this stuff. I don't know anything to call that but sin. I mean, it's like you gotta, I mean, it sounds, I mean, this might sound harsh, and, and I know we're coming up on the passage of don't judge, and I want to be careful, but, you know, I think people buying that stuff, I mean, it's almost like you gotta hate poor people. And it's like, you gotta hate poor people to buy a thousand dollar can to put your pens in on your desk. But again, this is the problem with this when we start going down that road. You see, it's always easy to look at the tax brackets above us and say, you hoard, you're wasteful, you do bad things with your money. That's easy. That is easy. Anybody can do that. And only there's only like one-tenth of... I mean, like, I mean, there's, there's like, you know, a very small percentage, very small, one-tenth of one percent of people in the world that aren't looking up. And still, they're going to be like, well, I'm not the richest guy yet, and look what he does with his money. I mean, everybody will find a way to justify themselves in some form or fashion. Now, last week, you know, we talked about, it came up in the, in the message, you know, we're all rich, you know, almost all. Because, why? When's the last time you were hungry? When's the last time you didn't have a roof over your head? When's the last time you didn't have any clothes to put on? Okay, compared to a lot of people in the world doing just fine. 
Now, obviously, there are going to be different levels of that. Some of people have more than others, certainly. But when we ask these harder questions, where is my treasure? What am I hoarding? What am I loving and holding on to? When we ask those questions, now it gets a little bit more difficult. And, and it's easy, you know, we can justify ourselves, and, you know, will I give X percent or this or that? And then, you know, as if, as if that Jesus gives us a pass that once, you know, if you've given a particular percentage, there's this magic number of your money, and you give a particular percentage, then you're, you know, all bets are off on the rest of it, and you can do whatever you want with it, as if that is somehow taught in the New Testament. Can't find it. Never will. Because it's not there. It's just not there. I mean, that's one of those things where I'd be like, I'd be glad to wager any amount of money that any person has on finding that it's not there. Can't find it. So, Jesus tells us to lay up our treasures in heaven. And we have to take that seriously because Jesus told us as his disciples, not to lay up our treasures here on earth, but to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus said it. No other prophet said it. I mean, they might be repeating or or going along with what God has said about these things, but it's not a source of just a person. It's not a source of just a teacher or a particular denomination or of any other thing. No, this is Jesus himself said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he doesn't make like bones about it. He he never gives any uh, caveats of like, oh, well, here's the, you know, here's your loophole out. Like you don't have to, if you meet these you know, qualifications. We're still searching for that. We're looking for that. We hope to find that. Jesus, where are the loopholes where this doesn't apply to me? Can't find them. He just says, do not and do. Commands. And we believe he's both Savior and King. So if the King says, do not and do, then we as his servants, what, what position does that put us in? I mean, it's clear, and, and, it, and the reality is for us, we all know that. It's not a lack of, of information that is the issue here. It's a lack of conviction. It's not about information. It's about conviction. And then the willpower to follow through on that conviction. Because Jesus says, where you're, and this is so important, why does Jesus care about what we do with our money? Because he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so basically, he's setting that apart. If your treasure is for here on this earth, that's where your heart's going to be. What does that mean? That's where your passion lies. That's where your affections lie. That's where your pursuit lies. That's where everything that you are you know, fighting for in life is for the temporal. And Jesus wants us to understand and to know that that's not a great way to live life and it doesn't bring joy and it doesn't bring peace and it doesn't bring fulfillment. That in that, you're always going to need more. It's never going to satisfy you. So he tells us that our hearts need to be towards the kingdom of God. Now, how do, because how do we lay up treasures in heaven? I still haven't found a way to wire money to heaven or to, you know, you can go to Western Union. How do I get some money to heaven? You go to your bank. How do I get some money? To, like there, you can't like, what is Jesus talking about here? How do we send money to heaven? How do we send material things to heaven? It's by our giving so that the gospel can go forward. And so that those that are poor don't starve to death. Like that's how we that's how we put up treasures in heaven is by spending our money here and investing our money here appropriately through our giving. 
That's how we do it. That's the only way to do it. Because if it stays in your personal account and just accumulates, well, that's hoarding according to what the scriptures are saying. That that is just hoarding your money. For yourself. That money is not getting sent. And so what I want to know is, and what's interesting, and I think sad in this, is all this money that everybody's saving up, that when they die, it's just money in the account that then goes to somebody else. So they can leave it in an account or spend it on whatever. But what if we didn't take that approach to life? What if we actually took Jesus seriously at what he said and said, okay, I'm going to strive to lay up treasures in heaven and not on the earth. We, we took him seriously at that. Now, I'm not going to say that that means you should never have a savings account or that you shouldn't have an investment you know, account or whatever and you know, money for retirement. I mean, maybe at some point you get to stop working for someone else. But I hope in terms of your activity in life, I mean, again, I've tried to find retirement in the Bible. I can't find that either. At nowhere can I find, like you've worked for some number of years, and then you just go get to sit on your butt until you die. Or you just go get to look at stuff. Like you spend your life looking at stuff for the last 20 years, and then you die. Like I can't find that in the Bible. Somebody find it. It's not there. It's not there. Okay, so as, I mean, investing. We should, I mean, if you get, someday you get to retire, great. Then what are you doing with your time that you have excess of for the kingdom of God to go forward? There's going to be an accountability for that at the judgment seat of Christ. Because he says this next, the lamp of the body is the eye. Why is he talking about the lamp of the body, the eye, your eye bad, full of darkness? Why, why, is he saying, why is he saying these things? Because, again, it has to do with your perspective, what you're looking at, what you're looking for. Are you looking for the things of this earth or the things of heaven, the things of eternity? Are you temporally minded or are you eternally minded? Is what Jesus is getting at here. And then he just makes this very clear statement. You can't serve two masters. You can only be one. So what he's telling these Pharisees is, if you love your money, you hate God. In reality. He said, you can say what you want. You can go to the temple. You can go to the synagogue. You can say all the prayers. You can read the scriptures. You can make your songs. But if you love money, you hate God. That's the heart issue. What comes out of your mouth? Because we see that in the Old Testament. God says, You know, they say these things with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You say whatever you want, but if you love money, you hate God. That's strong. That's strong. You can't serve both. You can't serve God and money. And then he tells us, he gives us these things to do. First one is, again, in this perspective, do not worry about your life. Because I think Jesus knows there are two motivations that trip us up when it comes to money. One is just plain greed. And he's already addressed that. You can't love both, right? So he's already addressed greed. But what are the other reasons, what's the other reason that people hoard? What about, what, why do we want to have more than we can actually use? Fear. Because of Fear. We worry. We worry we're not going to have enough. We're going to have a lack of resources. And so, therefore, we need to stockpile. And it's one thing, you know, like, okay, we don't live in the same sort of world, and of course, people living in this time. All right, and this, you have your harvest seasons, and then you have to store up for the winter because why? There's not going to be food until the next harvest season. So, Jesus isn't like, hey, if you have some extra canned food in your house, you're sinning. That's not what he's getting at here. But there is something wrong about you know, hoarding more than you can use and that you can use for many years. This is the parable Jesus gives about the rich man who you know, his, his, says his, 
his fields produce abundantly. And he was concerned because he didn't have the barns size to hold it all. And so he tears down his barns and builds bigger ones. And he says, you know, I'm going to tell myself to, you know, to, for the rest of my life, I can eat, drink and be merry. Okay. But then God says tonight, this night, your soul is required of you. Boom. It's all gone. Who gets it then? What's the point of it all? Okay. But it's that worry. It's the greed or the worry. That keeps us, you know, putting on more than we'll, we, we need to use or will need for the foreseeable future. For the next season. And so Jesus says, you know, look to nature. Look to the birds. Aren't you more valuable than birds? You know, he also says to look at the plants. You know, look at the nature and how God takes care of his creation. But then verse 27, you know, which of you by worrying can, can make yourself taller? His, what, he, what his point is there, it might sound, why is he saying that? His point is there like your worry doesn't actually accomplish anything. The actual act of worrying. You know, industry, hard work, those can take care of some things. But just sitting there and obsessing, that can't do anything for you. That doesn't do anything for you. And it's tough. I mean, when you, if you live a lot of your life, I mean, I, you know, the poverty line thing is subjective, but poverty line in our nation, I mean, I've, I think I've spent more years below it in my lifetime than I have above it. But again, that's a very relative thing. Because again, always had food, always had a roof over my, my head. You know, always had clothes to put on my body. Mine weren't the designer clothes, weren't the nicest clothes. Some of the other kids at school were like, what you wearing? But they were, my body was clothed. Okay, and so you have to, you know, to, to look at the big picture and the perspective. And he's saying, you know, look to the nature. Look that worrying doesn't actually help you. Understand, and he says this, all these things are the Gentiles seek. And, and he's not using that term in terms of like ethnicities. He's using the term in terms of, you know, those who don't, don't have right relationship with God you know, concern themselves with the things here and now. But if you have a right relationship with God and your eternity is secure, then you can focus on the things of God and, and you can trust your Heavenly Father and you don't have to obsess. You don't have to worry about your life. And this is something, this dependency on God for just a, a very like basic need is a blessing and an experience that sadly, you know, the rich, the people that have rich their whole lives never get to experience. They never get to experience that sort of direct provision and answer to prayer. And so in one, some way it's a, it's a blessing if handled properly. And then in verse 33, he goes back to this. It's verse 32, he says, you know, your father knows that you need these things. Now, he's not saying your father knows that you need an abundance of wealth to hoard. He's not saying that. Needs and wants different things. But he's saying, you know, God knows what you need. He knows that you need food. He knows that you need shelter. He knows that you need clothes. Like, stop freaking out. God knows you need these things. So verse 34, he concludes it with, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Because again, that's a future. You can have plenty for today and still be giving yourselves ulcers that you might not have enough for tomorrow. And, and Jesus says, you know, that's not a healthy, that's not a good way to live. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Like, let tomorrow take care, you know, let the future, you know, that's going to come when it comes. If it comes, you're not, you're not guaranteed. Neither is the whole world. Which is not guaranteed. Everything could be very different tomorrow for you. By tomorrow, Jesus could have come back. By tomorrow, you might not be alive anymore. Like, focus on today. Focus on today. And again, Jesus isn't telling the farmer not to put seed in the ground because he shouldn't have any care or concern about the crops for the next season. 
That's not what he's saying. He's not saying never make a, a, a plan. You know, because you know, I've had this one. Uh, you know, guys, well, I quit my job. Okay, well, do you have another job already lined up? No, God will take care of that. I just quit. I, I, was, I got mad at my boss, so I just quit. just walked out. Be like, um, no, that's not a good idea. I don't think Jesus is going to tell you that's a good idea. Unless he directly told you to do something like that in terms of to walk out. Like, unless there's extreme, extreme circumstances, you just don't do that. You, you make a plan, you go ahead and apply, and you've got another job lined up. And then you give your notice. This is my last day. Now, there's obviously reasons. If they, somebody asks you to do something completely unethical, you, we're going to fire you if you don't deny God. Whatever it is, like then, yeah, you've got to do what you've got to do. But in most circumstances, and a lot of times it's young people doing that, they get frustrated about a particular boss or something to have. They don't think that, well, something was fair. What fair? I'm walking out. It's like, well, that's, that's not the best. But don't worry. And this is sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Isn't that the truth? Isn't there enough to pray about for today? Enough to pray about, enough to, to take to the Lord. We don't have to obsess about the future. We know who holds his, you know, our lives in his hands. You know, I, I, I'm not a fatalistic person, okay? And I don't think the scriptures encourage us to be, you know, like crazy fatalistic. But at the same time, nothing can happen to you or me unless God's okay with that. You know, and we don't use that as an excuse to do foolish things. You know, you don't drive a car when you leave here 120 miles an hour and say, you know, well, nothing bad can happen to me unless God's okay with that. Like that's testing God and that's, that's, that's a sinful, you know, attitude. It's a sinful attitude. But, you know, when it comes to your life and, and your work and your process, if you have your eyes on Jesus, like he's got you and nothing's going to get you that he's not okay with coming into your life that's a, like, that's a trial or something designed to make you stronger. And so many times in life, you know, when we go through a hard time, we go through a hard financial time, you know, we can think, oh, we're being punished or, oh, such and such is so bad and, and this or that. But what about it being an opportunity for God to refine our character, for us to learn to trust Him more, for us to walk more closely with Him, for us to grow in our dependence on His provision. So don't look at all the trials and things in life. You know, some you might have to say, hey, this didn't have to do with the Lord. I brought this on myself because I made a bad decision without consulting God. Like, that happens. That's happened to me. I've done that. And you have to just own it. But there's other situations that are beyond your control that are bigger than you are. World economy, bigger than you are. You know, local war, bigger than you are. I mean, like, some things are bigger than you. Okay? And, but you can still take anything that comes in your life as an opportunity to be closer to God and dependence on Him and to exercise this faithfulness to Jesus where we don't worry. Now, I'm somebody who can worry. I can do that. I, I could worry with the best of them. You all want to have a worry party? I can get there. I can get right in there with you and worry about the future. Let's worry. You know, but Jesus tells us, do not. Do not. So when we worry, so what, what, what do we do very practically speaking? Very practically speaking, when we start to worry. Pray. Recognize, again, big picture. What is that? Even has Jesus taught us to pray. You know, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. You know, and so we're putting big picture, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like getting the perspective of God on it all. Big picture. Because when I look big picture, my little problems get, my problems get smaller. They become the right size. They're not supersized, they become right sized. Give us this, you know, acknowledging there, things aren't always right in the world. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means that things are messed up here. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That I need to be a forgiving person. 
give us our daily bread, that I need to trust God to provide for what I need today. This goes back to that in this section here. Do not lead us to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Like we, it's a recognizing I can get tripped up in this world and I need the Lord's help. I need the Lord's help to be strong in it. And again, we started with God and we end with God. For yours is the kingdom. You see in this whole thing, like God is first, then our concerns, and then God again. In that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Like we're sandwiched in there. And, and, and think about your prayers, you know, recognize your prayers, write out your prayer. You know, I, voice, how about this for, for a trial? You know, next time something bad's going on, voice record your prayer. And then go back and listen to it and see if it has that same part of pattern where it's God, your situation, God. Or if it's just me, me, me. You know, you might not be getting what you're asking for because it's me, me, me. Might still be in a hard situation because until it's me, 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 you know, we got to still endure some stuff to change our perspective to where it's God first and God last and that we are part of his story. God's not part of our story. I mean, he is, but understand how I'm saying in terms of priority. We're part of his story. We're not the central character. I'm not the central character. You're not the central character. Jesus is. It's his rightful place. He's the one who's God. I'm not. He's the one who's God. You're not. He's the one who made us. We didn't make ourselves. He has the priority. He has the focus. And so when Jesus says, do not do this or do do this, you know, how many times do we sit there and go, but I want As if that's relevant to the conversation. As if that's relevant. But I. But me, me, me. And how much more, and and this is the thing about it, and this is kind of where it's like, whoa, what? It gets kind of weird. Is that we actually have more joy and more peace and more fulfillment when when our perspective, Jesus, what do you want? And how do I please you? That's where our joy and fulfillment and purpose all come from that's satisfying and fulfilling. Because we look at the example of the New Testament church and they were the most generous, it's the most generous the church has ever been. It's never more generous than it was in the book of Acts. Now you think they're more joyful in their walk with Jesus or us? You think the people with open hands saying give, give, give felt bad about it? We're sad about it? We're crying about it? You know, you th- do you think we were all, you know, that they were all having such a hard time? No, they were joyful. They were pleased. They were thankful in their lives to be counted worthy to suffer, to be counted worthy to have something to give back to the Lord's work. We're not more joyful than they were. No way. Most joyful, most generous, and most joyful the church has ever been. Book of Acts. So the question, you know, if our way doesn't work, our way doesn't make us more joyful whenever we're going the world's way. But when we're doing it God's way, when we're doing it God's way, I should make that clear. When we are doing things the world's way, it doesn't bring us joy. It doesn't work. When we are doing things God's way, it brings us joy. It brings us fulfillment. It brings us peace. And you can look at any area of your life, and this is true. Sexuality, the world's way, doesn't do anything for you, ultimately. God's way? Yeah. Same thing is true. Materialism? Same is true with anything. Work ethic, honesty, truthfulness. The world's way is not fulfilling. God's way is fulfilling. God's way gives us that connection and that purpose that we, God knows we need. 
And so may God help us, may he help me to be more faithful to this and to take Jesus more seriously at his words. So let's pray and go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your goodness to us. Lord, we also know your word tells us to teach those who are rich, that's us, most of us, to teach those who are rich to to do good and to be generous, to be willing to share, willing to give. So, Lord, we want to be that. Help us to want to be that uh, more and more. Help us to take your word seriously, especially the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have here given for us. Lord, help us to realize that what you've given us, you haven't given us just for our own benefit but that you've given it to us to be stewards of it so we can be a blessing to others. Help us to be good stewards of everything you've entrusted us with, whether it's a little or a medium size or a lot, God, help us to be faithful with it for your glory and for your honor. And as we take that bread and that cup this morning, help us to remember, remind us, dear Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that all of our true riches are found in the name of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus, that you did become poor for our sakes, that we might be rich in you with every spiritual blessing. Thank you that you love us, that you care for us. As your church, dear Jesus, help us to be what you want us to be. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen.